whenever I find myself in that really guarded position, what I force myself to do instead is let me just listen, hold like 200% then. If I'm not comfortable enough to be me right now, let me listen and learn more about this other person and really get that. So let me use my ears and mouth in the proportions that they were given to me, right? Like two ears, one mouth, use them accordingly. And so let me listen and really understand, ask more questions. And then slowly you start to find where are those points where you can connect and you can actually start to reveal really who you are. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. It's our special Halloween episode. My guest today is the fabulous Damien Taylor. Damien Taylor spent the last 15 years applying data and technology to entertainment. Both analytical and creative, he brings a unique skill set that is in high demand for brands and media companies. He effectively translates data in a way that is meaningful to creatives, talent, and has become a respected leader in audience growth and producing data-informed creative. He has led audience development for large traditional media companies like Warner Brothers and NBC Universal, as well as for innovative digital leaders like Machinima, MeToo, and New Form. We were just sitting here literally talking about how we love a countdown, but we are counted in now. The count is down. And I get to ask you, my dear, what do small business owners need to focus on this week? <laughs> I think it's reality. It's reality. <laughs> <laughs> on a pop culture podcast. All right. We got to focus on reality. What do you mean? I, I love Instagram. I love LinkedIn, but there's so much just bullshit. <laughs> like, I mean, there's no other way to put it, right? It's, it's no. the, oh, it's so great. We just closed this deal. I'm making moves. And, blah, blah. and I was like, yeah, but what about the, like, yesterday it fucking sucked because I was wondering if my client was going to leave me and I needed to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. Like, all of that. No one talks about that. It's always like, it's always perfect and you're making moves and my company tripled in the last year, but no one talks about the work that it took to get there or the times where it wasn't tripling and it actually slid back before you got to that triple. And so, I think we really need to focus on reality so that when we have those bumps or that, that that hard moment, we realize that's what it is. And now this is a part where we do what we do as business owners and we work through it to keep going. You know, I love hearing this from you, especially because I know that you just lived this very lifestyle brand uh stunt, but in real life, in the cool, actual you did work way, which is that you just had this beautiful major launch, which I'll ask you about, you know, I guess now and, and in a second. But, you know, when we see launches of different kinds or when we see debuts of different kinds on the internet, especially of creative projects, we'll see like launch parties and red carpets and swag bags and formal wear and everything else. And that's what we would see on Instagram. But to your point, I didn't see a lot of that in your posts. I saw a lot of work getting done. I saw a lot of hope getting fostered. I saw a lot of attention trying to get grabbed, right? So, so what was it like for you launching something new? And yes, please tell us what you launched. But what was it like for you launching something new? Were you tempted to try to look like it was, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians of Instagram? Or were you just like, no, this is hard and it's taken years of work and therefore we're just going to let it be messy? I wanted the mess intentionally. I, it's funny. It, it's taken me until now to, to be okay with that. I, in 2020, I, I met some folks and they were all talking about, this is what you could do for your career. And the one thing I took away from like, it, it ended up being like a BS class, right? But like the one thing I took from that class, though, which was really great is that your message is in the mess, right? Mm -hmm. If everything I did was perfect already, 
how can someone connect with me, right? How can they know that they can persevere and do better if like I never had to struggle, right? Because then how could I possibly understand what they're going through? And I sat and I, I thought about that for a long time. And that was pretty early on in, in my company. We'd only been a, what, a year in. And so I sat back and thought about, well, what do I want my company to be? I want it to be real. And so in that, like our launch is actually really, it, it's, it's kind of overwhelming to think about even what we had to do, but we relaunched essentially three things, like a podcast, well, two podcasts, and then an animated series. And in those three things, one of them is a, it's a business podcast, right? I wanted it to be about the reality of being an entrepreneur. What are those things that people have to deal with? And one of them is like, you don't go to school and take the entrepreneur class and suddenly have a business and do really well. That's just, it's, <laughs> it's fake, right? Like it's, it's stupid stuff. Like you're not going to learn it in a book. Um, and then the other thing is everyone talks about like, I'm a startup and I'm doing blah, 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 or I'm working in media and, doing, and they're, they're showing this stupid shit, but no one talked about the things that I've seen other people dealing with, which is, oh crap, I just lost my biggest client and I don't know if I can pay my mortgage or yes. um, I'm working really hard and I woke up at five to work and then I took my kids to school and then I came back home and did some work and then they came back home and like how work yeah. kind of is seamlessly integrated into your entire day. It's not like you're eight hours and you leave. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that it's always been really helpful when I, I saw my mom doing it because she, she owns her own business mm-hmm. my whole life. She's, she owns a beauty salon and she's running that and like, I saw like what had to happen. Sometimes she was at the t- kitchen table doing receipts and doing her taxes. Sometimes she, you know, bringing clients like, Hey, I got to reschedule you for another day. But it wasn't the, the clear, pretty, like I own it. Now I'm just going to live out this luxury lifestyle and not really have to work. Yes. And I, and having mentors and knowing people who did that, I'm like, let's be real. I, I hate the fake stupid shit. Like it, it just, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't accomplish anything, right? Aside from making people feel worse about themselves and it doesn't help them be more successful. Right. right? It totally doesn't. And so if we're, you know, one thing, and I love, 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 love that you are also the child of a small business owner, because I say all the time, um, growing up as the child of two entrepreneurs, I learned that entrepreneurship was possible for me from like basically birth which I'm grateful for, but I also got a front row seat to the truth that is shielded from a lot of people, which is that it's brutally freaking hard. Mm -hmm. Like your mom doing her taxes at the dining room table at two in the morning probably wasn't singing songs of joy while she did. (laughs) Right. You know, it's a job, it's work. And so I think some of this Instagram reality stuff that we see leads us to believe that if we're working, it's not working. Like if we're working, then something must be wrong because we're supposed to just show up and have money thrown at us because we're authentic and cute. Right. And it's like, yeah, okay. My mom made good money at the height of her career, but she also had to be on an airplane at four o'clock in the morning to Topeka, whether or not (laughs) she had norovirus. Like, yeah, it it is what it is, right? It's yep. hard freaking work. And so I'm grateful for that indirect education that I went in with the expectation that this was going to be all consuming sometimes. And, and th- I mean, don't get me wrong. There are benefits or the things that I know my mom loved about it. And I loved is that I can go volunteer at my son's school in the morning because right. I own that schedule. I don't have someone breathing down my neck for what. I block off that time in my calendar and I make that happen. So I have the flexibility to do those things. You don't have to negotiate the priorities. You know, you don't have to convince a boss why it's important that you show up for your kid. Exactly. So, I mean, there there are definite benefits, but with those benefits, there are trade-offs, right? There are things that Mm -hmm. I I don't get. I don't have just someone paying me just because I showed up. Wouldn't that Um, be nice? I have to go and find that business. But to that end, for every one of those cons, there's actually, for me at least, a, a very big benefit in that, yeah, but the more effort I put in and the more I learn and become better at my business and really hone my skills, the better my business does. So I get out of it what I put into it. And so th- there's a reality there, but it means that you have to do that first part first. Who knows? I might get to a point where I'm literally just doing nothing and it's just all you know income coming from multiple passive income streams. But you know how I got there? 
It's because I worked my ass off for 20 years before yes. that to build these businesses so someone else can run them, right? Yes. It's not. I mean, you you mentioned the launch of the series. That right there feels like this big, shiny, glorious moment. But tell us if you would, number one, tell us about the show. Um, but also, could you tell us about the history of the show and and the steps it has taken and the iterations it has taken to get from where the idea started to what people can now actually go on the internet and see? Yeah, so we launched a pilot for um, a series called Tech Witch. It's, it's fun, it's fantasy, it's animated, but it's, it's literally been four years in the making. So what people see is like, Here's this, you know, 10 minute episode, but um, it's been four years in the making. The first, I had the idea, I was working for a company, wasn't sure if I should share it with them because it was a studio and, you know, studios are like first ride refusal, but they never really want what you have. They just don't want you to give it to anyone else. Oh, isn't that like clients that hang out on your fence for a million <laughs> years? Right. <gasps> That's a rant for another day. Continue, please. I kept this idea and really like kept it under wraps on purpose um, and was developing it, which was a whole nother thing because since I couldn't really tell anyone, I couldn't just go to one of my writer friends and be like, hey, can you just write this for me? So I had to start figuring out how do I write this and outline it. And so I had a friend whose girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, was um, a writer and she did a lot of like coaching for writers. And so she came over to my house one day. It's all clandestine and we're all supposed to be on vacation. And <laughs> she helped me break story and we do a storyline and we're working on it. And literally like we're in my, my dining room and we have post-its everywhere, all over the Yay! table outlining the story. Um, but I wanted it to be a story that was sci-fi and fantasy because I love both. But I also mm-hmm. wanted it to be like representative and mm-hmm. inclusive and not in the very PC, like, oh, we're going to class the Black Little Mermaid. Like, that story's been told. Like, do we have to try and force these things by just replacing, like, you know, insert colored person there? Like, that's what it right. feels like, right? Or you get, like, the most stereotypical character ever that, like, wow, now you're inclusive and defensive. Good job! Yeah. And I wanted to be, like, I basically based it off of my life. Like, not everybody grew up in the hood with a hardship, you know, running from the gang. That's just, like, not the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I literally based it on people who were in my life, like, in my family and et cetera. I wanted to include magic in there, though, because I mean, who doesn't need a little magic in whatever they're doing? Everybody, especially these days. Right? Um, and being the nerdy person I am, I was like, but what would it be like if magic and technology had a baby? <gasps> what if you were a witch who could control technology? What? <laughs> I just read this amazing book called The Change, which basically posits that, like, what if menopause unlocks powers in women? And I'm not to menopause yet but i read this whole book and the whole time i was like fuck yes bring on my power <laughs> give me my power it was like the first time since i was like you know 15 or 16 when the first harry potter book came out and i was like where's my hogwarts letter i only have two years left you better fly fast now i'm like jk rowling is a trash bag instead bring on menopause i want to be a witch i'll just be a tech witch until menopause i'll just transition through Exactly. But, you know, I think that that's so important because we also talk about how in all projects, representation really does matter and representation of different kinds, both in fiction, like the piece you're creating, but also you as creator of that piece, you as a member of a diverse team bringing this project to life because people see that, too. And and so when people say, well, I don't know, do I need to show the people behind the scenes of my podcast or should I show pictures with my testimonials or should I use stock photos or real photos? My answer to all of those things is always representation matters. Right. And and that's me saying it as a freaking white woman, you know, but I've heard from people, too, that they're like, oh, I noticed that your testimonials are really diverse. People notice that. And my testimonials are diverse because I ask for them. (laughs) You know, my (laughs) testimonials are diverse because I provide stellar experience across the board. And then I ask everybody for them. And then when you work as hard as I do, you get them. But like people notice stuff like that in actual entrepreneurial reality, which is not a stock photo. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's 
I think that's why it's so important to focus on reality. And that's actually been something that we've really focused on in our company. I made mm-hmm. it a, a tenet that th- this new thing that I've coined diversity 2.0, like it, I'm going to write an article about this. So by the time this comes out, hopefully this article will be out already. If not, you're going to get a big fat push. Yes. Come on, do it. But it, it's really about like, I'm, I've been working in Hollywood movie studios and creative for almost 20 years now, right? And my biggest problem has been, we'll do diversity. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do quantum leap. But replace that lead white guy with an Asian guy. With Little an mermaid, Asian yeah, yeah. Guy. Make the mermaid black. So it's basically, we're just going to rehash what we already did. We're going to reduce mm-hmm. Gossip Girl. Add some, we need a Latina in there and a black girl. Yeah, put one of those in there. And, and it's really not actually representation. It's like, insert whatever slot here and say you did it, right? And right, it's like token it's, casting. It's real weird. It totally is. But it, it's also not allowing other stories that exist to exist. And so we we have some other stories that will be coming out soon that are actually from mythologies that aren't Western. They're not European. It's not Greek and it's not Norse, Mm -hmm. right? So Native American, African, Asian, because there are some stories in there that are amazing and no one's talking about them because, well, they didn't come from the pantheon pantheon of Greece or whatever it was, right? Right. When the moment we realize that we're gatekeeping, which stories get told and now we're just putting a face on it, it's a facade. It's it's not really integral. So the story is never really felt or it, it's, it doesn't go as, as deeply as it could in terms of connecting with an audience and really resonating. And so I wanted to change that narrative by telling the story. Um, and the first thing I did was go and partner with a white guy to write with me. But that was a whole nother story. Um, hey, diverse perspectives, bringing it in, right? Although you keep bringing up this Little Mermaid thing, and I have not talked about this on the show yet, so I would like to take this moment yes. for an Annie P. Ruggles PSA. Yes, let's do it. <clears throat> if you spend that much time on the ocean surface, directly underneath the fucking sun... You would either be tan or evolutionarily, maybe you would have gotten more than, you know, your fair share of melanin. So (laughs) everybody lay off the little mermaid. If she was actually my skin tone, she'd be burnt to shit. Thank you. Um, And it's interesting. So like I keep harping on the little mermaid, like it's something bad, but on one hand, it's really great because it's, we need it, but it, it feels like it's, there could have been another story you could tell. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. it's good and I'll, I'll take it and it can still be a great story. But my issue with the conversation that's going on with it is that you can't be this imaginary creature because you're black. It's like the, the same thing with Game of Thrones. You couldn't possibly be one of these imaginary people riding dragons because they had white hair. Like, you've never seen people, like, anybody could have white hair. Like, anybody can actually, have white hair. One of my aunts actually has white hair. She has a, she's like rogue, actually. She has a streak of white hair because she just doesn't have melanin there. And so like it's it's not <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's like, so wait, you're telling me I can't be fake too? Is that what that is? Like I want to yes. be imaginary. You are not <laughs> allowed to be any imaginary creatures. Sorry. Yeah. Imaginary creatures are exclusively reserved for white people. Right? God. Ah. And the Quantum Leap thing. I haven't seen the new Quantum Leap yet. I noticed the casting and I was like, oh, well, that's interesting because I know that like the original, which I loved as a kid, is fraught with white saviorism because he's literally a white man jumping into into people of colored bodies. And saving the day over and over. So I was kind of excited to see that they've replaced him with an Asian man. Uh, but I don't know what I, I don't know what ism will awaken within that. I'm interested to see how they will handle stuff like race now that it's not just, you know, a white guy jumping in to literally prevent racism. Like it's weird because I, I think. On one hand, I, I get it and it makes sense, but there's also this idea of just keep regurgitating the same thing and putting a new face on it. Yes. Um, and how do we do that in our businesses? Because I, I see that in media, but I know that we're doing the same thing, right? Like one mm-hmm. of the things I see all the time is where I'll get an email that was clearly written from a swipe file because I've <laughs> gotten four of the emails with like three details changed and the yes. signature. And I'm like, oh, 
somebody must have sold a swipe file this week. Like mm-hmm. I got 97 things that are the same formula. So like that's one thing that comes up for me. But where do you see us doing this regurgitating, heavy borrowing, recreating instead of telling new stories? I see that happening a lot with how people, especially, so I do a lot of consulting and I, I see that happening in consulting businesses a lot to the point mm-hmm. where I even have clients who ask for it, not realizing that it's hurting them, right? So coming in, well, so-and-so always just told us this, and is it helping your business grow? Like just going for the lowest bar, right? So right. It, for me, it, it really boils down to integrity. Sometimes just creating a stock formula doesn't always help. I mean, you don't have to customize everything. There are things that you want to automate. You want to make yes. standard, right? and standardize them and make them simple. But when it comes to actual strategy, I know people who literally will go in and essentially give everyone the same strategy presentation. Um, I know of a vendor who, who's done that. I, I've heard them at several conferences and every time it's the exact same presentation, like no deviation, no consideration for the audience, no consideration for the needs that that audience has. And this happens with data a lot. What you need to worry about is these data points. And that's always what they all talk about, right? And my question is, Great. So they're worried about those data points. Can you connect those data points to their day to day and making the banking cup count go up? Like, yeah. It's if it working. doesn't do that, then you're just giving them numbers. And that's what they're doing a lot of times. Um, and I think as business people, we, we try to, I mean, go for the path of least resistance, right? But sometimes right. if you do the hard thing now, um, it'll pay off in the end because suddenly you've been that one person who told them the truth that got them to where they needed to go. And it was hard at the beginning. I have one client like that at the beginning. It was like, we just want this. This is what so-and-so always did for us. I'm not that person. Right, then go hire them. And I'm looking at your business. And the reason why you keep bringing in these people and they keep leaving is because you're trying to force them into a box and telling them how to do what they do well. And then when it doesn't work, you're blaming them for it. And so there's there's this need to, to... either just kowtow and get the money and leave or do you stand up for yourself and it doesn't have to be contentious but saying i'm really here to help you if you really would like for me to help your business grow this is what i'm bringing i'm bringing this expertise if this expertise isn't enough for you then we can talk about how we sever this tie but i'm really here to help you if you don't want my help and if you already know what I'm going to tell you, then there's no need for me to be here. And I'm not saying that out of being cocky. I'm saying that because it'll waste your time and you'll be frustrated because I'm not giving you then the help you think right. you need. And it'll be frustrating for me because I'm trying to do something that's clearly not what you want. It's waste on waste. Exactly. You're both wasting time. And if he's paying you, he's wasting money because he's not going to listen anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And so. Or implement anything, right? So that's that's the thing. So then everyone is frustrated because no one's getting what they want. No one's seeing results because, well, you're not doing anything. You guys are on two different pages. Yeah. And that's when like one of the best and most important lessons I learned from my coach early on is that sometimes money is too expensive to take. Some clients are too much. And um, now that's something that I teach when I work on sales. It's like, if you disqualify someone because they're not a fit for you or they have red flags or you feel like you'll be dragging them the whole time to your example, you know, kicking and screaming or whining and bitching and moaning or trying to get you to do somebody else's protocol, even though they're paying you for yours, like that's just going to eat up so much, not only of your time, but of your willpower, which is not a limitless resource. And if you burn yourself out working for bad fits, your good fits suffer if you even can fit them into your calendar. Exactly. And I remember my mom, like I learned that watching my mom, she had, she's a hairstylist, right? You think like, oh, it's a a great job, but there are some people who just weren't worth the time. And I I remember her firing a couple of her clients. Um, This one woman came in and told her, and then you should do this. And my, and she told, my mom told her, you actually have a scalp condition you really need to be more careful. For you, you can't use a hot flat iron and blow dry your hair every day. Your hair is falling out and breaking out. And she told me, oh, it's because you don't know. I need to use this. You need to get this vegan. And my mom said, you know what? We can use the vegan products, but until you take care of what's causing that, these vegan products aren't even going to help you. You're using a hot flat iron and blow drying your hair every single day. And you're not even doing it. It's like people smoking in a hospital. Like Exactly. And I remember her okay. like saying, you know what? I'll give you someone else's phone number. I think there's another stylist who'd be a better fit for you. I'm obviously not the one for you. Right. Um, and some people were 
oh my God, you're giving away money. She's like, that money wasn't worth it. That money comes in my chair, complicates my day, takes down the vibe of my work establishment and exhausts me two times more than any other client. Well, and then what happens at the end is when it doesn't work, she gets the blame for something that she wasn't doing, right? Right. Her hair falls out because she's not paying attention and who's she going to yell at? Your mom, who told her exactly what to do to prevent the problem. Like, why would you do that, though? And my mom said, she, she gave she gave a really great example. She said, say I continue with this woman. Her hair falls out. Something really bad happens. Now she comes back and says, I've been her stylist for the last five years. The only stylist she's seen. It's clearly my fault. Now she wants to sue me. And she, that's not worth it because the amount I would lose, the time I would lose not going to work is so I'll let her go on her way. She knows what's best. Let her follow her heart then. Um, and so it's back to reality. Like, be real. Do you, if you're not going to be invested in this work, if you're not going to actually want to even put your full effort into it, if it's not going to make you better, it's not going to make your client better, if it's not going to help your business, then why do it for an Instagram photo? Just to say you got the dollars and take a picture of your bank account? Like, Right. Then we're back to freaking Instagram. Am I just trying to be the McDonald's of coaching where it says 97 billion served? Like, or... Am I putting up actual results and also have actual quality of life while I'm delivering all this service? (laughs) Firing clients. I'm so glad we're talking about this. It needs to be discussed. It is a part of entrepreneurial reality. It is. It's awkward, but essential. And I had, I remember early on, I had to do that. There was a client who I loved. She was really great, but super high maintenance and not worth it. The juice wasn't worth the squeeze. I mean, I, I felt so bad because this client was an amazing advocate bringing in other clients and, but like the amount of hand holding and like, I'm going to call you at 11 o'clock at night and that kind of, no, my, I have a life. I have a family. I'm not on call for you all day, every day. And you are not a brain surgeon. Exactly. Um, and the, I remember thinking, okay, you have two options. You can keep taking this money, which is not much. And I, I'm not saying it because it, it like it wasn't worth what she was getting. Um, but it was in the grand scheme of things, what is my time worth? What is my life worth? Right. And yeah. it wasn't worth it. And so we, we had to have that conversation. And it actually went much better than I thought. But then I've had other another one that did not go so well. Uh, but after both of those scenarios. I can guarantee I was glad I had a beer. I was chill. I didn't have the stress of, okay, who's going to call me at 5 a.m. or, you know, what fire do I have to put out today? Um, and immediately I've got one client that was notably worth more than both of them combined. So it, it's, it, it has to happen. Um, Take a breath. That's one of the reset. benefits too. Yeah. Because if you're at a company, you don't have the ability to fire the client, no. right? This or so sell what you, you want. Just with it. Yeah. Right? You can't sell what you want. You can't deliver how you want. You can't fire a client you don't want. You're beholden to everybody else's widgets and management style. Right? But not that every single moment of your life and every single moment of your work has to feel like a song. But at the same point, if someone is making you miserable and affecting the quality of your life, if you're a small business owner... Your quality of life is a currency just like money. If you're not rich in quality of life, we have a problem because the only person that's going to be able to fix that quality of life for you is you. And then it's back to reality. It's, you know, the reality of life is at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own happiness. You're responsible for what your quality of life is. And so you can complain about it and say it's out of your hands or you can do something about it. Now, doing something about it doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you might you might not even succeed. But at the end of the day, you have the choice to either try it and do your best or not. If yeah. you decide not to, that's great. But don't be mad at the possibility that you didn't explore. Right. You're choosing on days when you don't fully apply yourself. You are choosing not to fully apply yourself. Right. You're not choosing to slack off. You're choosing not to do. Yep. Sometimes people need a, a push to force themselves. Like for me to, to go into being an entrepreneur, I, I realized that for me to really fully commit to it and not kind of have one foot there and one foot in like the corporate world, 
I had to burn the ships. I had to like knock down the bridge and burn the ships and be stuck on the island, right? Because if I had no other options, then I'm forced to actually work on that thing that I'm trying to grow. And so I burned the ships. And that was scary. My wife was like, okay, you have a year, make it happen. And um, we got pretty close to my deadline, like being up or like right in the middle of it, a pandemic happened. And for the first Ah! eight months of 2020, no business, zero dollars coming in. Right. And that's where that emergency fund, I was so glad I had, I saved my money for that. Um, Yes. But when we got to the end of it, we were like, okay, so it looks like we're going to sell the house. We better start calling the realtor. And two days later, I got a call for like a really big account to come in. Um, and I was like, oh, thank goodness. But that's the thing that people don't know about being an entrepreneur, right? For yes. eight months, I had lots of free time, right? But yeah. that free time was like, well, don't spend money there because you got to find more business, calling people, people saying no, There's like companies shutting down and big opportunities just drying up that were there yep. and knowing that I'm the one responsible for it. So on one hand, that was terrible because I'm the one responsible. But the other hand, I'm the one responsible. So I'm the one who can actually make it happen. Um, I'm not beholden to someone else to do it for me. And then that's where like self-trust comes in too, because you can look at that two ways. Like you just said, I can I can rely on myself to fix this or, uh-oh, I'm the one that fucked this up. Both are true. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you don't fuck shit up. Sometimes shit just gets fucked. That's the exactly. other thing of entrepreneurial reality. It's not always your fault. Sometimes it is when you don't want it to be, but sometimes when you think it is, it's not. However, it is on you to fix it. And sometimes things will write themselves naturally because you've been doing hard, consistent work. Like in your last example, somebody came and you got your deus ex machina in the form of this big client, mm-hmm. but you had put the groundwork in before that last day. In order to eventually get that big fish, right? So it's not like, and then I hustled for five minutes and it all worked out. It's like, (laughs) no, you can fuck it up. You can also unfuck it up. And then sometimes when everything fucks up on you, you can still unfuck it. Wow, I am really earning that explicit tag today. But, but that's I mean, the key. That, that, that's where reality is so important because as an entrepreneur, you have to be really grounded in it. You can say like, yeah, I fucked that up. And yeah. I'm good with it. Or maybe you didn't. But what you have to be able to do, and this is probably the hardest part, is to be like, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I fucked it up or someone else did. This is a scenario. This is the situation that I'm in. Yeah. What do I do about it? I can bitch and complain about it. Or I can say, this is where I am. How do I correct this? What do I do to make this better? And the ship is burnt. Yeah. So turn around and wait until things clear up is not an option. Ain't got no ship. Exactly. So what do you do? You better go get a coconut out of that palm tree. See if you need to get some sticks to make some shelter. You know, yep. see if there's some natives on the land that can help you out and like go full hatchet about it. Like, yep. yes. Find some shelter, make a lean to. Make sure there aren't any tigers coming for you, like whatever it is. Befriend a giant predator and off to the races with you, darling. But, oh my God, I love this. You know, I think when we're doing everything and making every decision on our own, there are times when saying burn the ship will feel like a nightmare. And times when saying burn the ships will feel like a liberation. And I've certainly experienced both, right? Where I'm like, I'm doing it. Screw <laughs> it. Here we go. Let it burn. Right? And it feels real good and real exciting. And it's all adrenaline. And I've also had times where I've been like basically clutching the pyre, sobbing, thinking, please, 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 please work. If this doesn't work, what am I going to do? Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. And I've had both. Right? But For listeners in either case um, who are looking at their own ships and wondering if they too should go up in flame, uh, do you have any tips on identifying when it's time to burn or how to burn? I think for me, the one thing that was probably the the, two things. The first is you don't really have to do it on your own. So finding someone, a mentor, a partner, whomever, who you can, you can talk to, but who is willing to be very honest with you, 
who's willing to tell you like, yeah, no, you fucked shit up. That's a bad idea. Or, you know, it might not be a good idea or a bad idea, but these are the potential outcomes. If you're okay with those, then go for it. If not, then I would say not. Like, you need that person who's going to just be unadulterated and very upfront with you. That that helps a ton. Um, I was so nervous to tell my wife and I thought she would try to talk me out of it. And instead she did the opposite, right? You know, do it, know that this is going to be it. I will stand with you, um, but we have to do these things. And so that that's the first is having that person because it's really hard if you try it on your own um, and you're going to drive yourself crazy. But um, having that grounding force, like in that example, your wife, and I know my husband is often the grounding force for me, but also at the same point, he'll be the same one to be like, hey, you're thinking too logically. Get mm-hmm. out of your head and just do it. And I'll be like, wait, I thought you just told me I had to meet all these parameters. And they'll be like, yeah, and then you met them. So now go do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Ah! Right? But, but you're right. You don't actually have to do it alone. You have an advisor. You have a partner. You have a friend. You have a mentor. You can hire someone. You could join a mastermind. You can, you know, go find a SBA mentor. You can do all sorts of stuff to not have to do it alone. Which is a perfect transition. Oh, my God. Okay. So how did we pull this off, Damien? You're going to be like, oh, my God, we did it. Magic. Um. So sometimes, mm, most times, I say, so what does blotty blah and blurdy blur and blarty blur and blarty blar have to do with this totally not connected piece of pop culture? But to you today, I don't have to ask that because to me, burning the ships and not doing it alone, you have just described the entire plot of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. In episode <laughs> one, one, Katara and Sokka are like, we will go to the other water tribe, clear across the world, <laughs> in the middle of a war, and never see our family again, potentially. Let's do it. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, Aang's like, I just got out of a bubble. I didn't even have a ship to burn. That thing got burnt a long time ago. And the Fire mm-hmm. Nation was like, hey, we're burning everything. Yep. So if you don't want to, uh, if you don't want to burn your own ships, you better watch out because we just might you. literally burn them for you. Right. But, but Avatar is the story for those who haven't seen it of a motley crew of children warriors banding together to reset the balance of the world. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, because for a cartoon about magical children, it is oddly realistic in the stuff that they go through. They go through very realistic teenage romances. They go through very realistic teemo- like hormonal preteen fits. They get scared. You know, like, when is the last time you watched a warrior in a movie get real scared? Well, they're kids. So mm-hmm. it happens, right? But when when I brought you here today to suck a business lesson or seven out of the juicy marrow that is Avatar The Last Airbender, not the movie, uh, what was coming up for you today? I was literally thinking about how, and this is so dorky, but just living my life, like, that has so many... Dorkiness on this show? How it's, it's dare you? <laughs> but there's so many, like, these really deep life lessons in this kid's cartoon, right? Like, you talked about the burning the ships, but the other thing is drawing boundaries. Aang is like, I am not going to kill the Fire Lord. That's against what my morals are. That's against my principles. And they're like, well, how are you going to end it? Everyone's like, you just have to do it. Nope, I'm not going to do it. And I will work to find a way to do it in a way that's consistent with what I believe in. That's hard to do. And in business, especially where someone's like, just do it. Just change that one number. It can be really easy. And it's a slippery slope once you start to go down it. But if you're willing to have that integrity and work towards those solutions, the benefit tends to to outweigh that short-term win you'll get. And so I was really thinking about how that cartoon has so many just poignant life lessons that you can apply to business and just life in general about friendship or um, learning about yourselves and taking, willing to take the journey, right? Because they were, we're going to this place. Forgiveness. Yeah. It's a humongous arc about Huge. forgiveness in a hundred different ways. Yep. Friends, people who've wronged you, like an entire nation, like whatever it is, it's. Right. An entire freaking nation. I mean, that's the other thing is like every, like 
the firebenders hate everybody and everybody hates the firebenders, but nobody really knows why. Other than like one group of people were a real big group of dicks. And now generations later, everybody's just up in arms and in fear. And they also feel like, well, this is the only identity I will ever have as a member of this tribe. Like, that's it. The best thing I can do is try to be a really good member or community member or, you know, council member in Bossing say. There's so many things, even just looking at the ways that none of them should make sense together. They're all very different. But when you start to see that they all they all go off on their little, you know, quests one and one, two by two, and they all start to find commonalities and realize like, oh, we're all not that different after all. Like we might have different ways of doing things, but at the end of the day, the core principle about what we want and why we live and what we do is kind of the same. Yes. And I love that you're bringing up this relationship, which I now see so clearly, but I've never heard in combination from anyone other than you before, which is like the relationship of boundaries and integrity. We're like, boundaries are the guardrails on your integrity. Boundaries keep you from doing something that you will regret, right? And so Aang, who the entire time has been told it is your job to take down the bad guy and literally reset the elements of Earth, like control them all, reset it, get everybody to get along, but also kill the Fire Lord. And Aang's like, I don't want to. That's not what I do. You know, like Batman doesn't shoot people. He's Batman. He finds different ways, you know? And so that was really, really like weird and and gross and, and tough. But I don't think before I was really looking at that as boundaries. I was just looking at that as integrity, right? And and sometimes we bristle at boundaries because we feel like they're going to be limiting or, you know, they're going to restrict us or, you know, inhibit our growth or this or that, or we're not going to be able to be competitive or cheap enough or whatever it may be. But when you look at it as the guard posts around your integrity, suddenly boundaries are even more essential seeming than they've ever been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you look at the the way that when Aang goes to talk to all of his past avatars, remember when they give him advice? Um, and he's, it's when keeping your boundaries is really hard is when you have people you respect all giving you different advice and you don't know which one to take. And you realize that at the end of the day, you have to go back to you, understand what your bar- boundaries are, what you believe, what your principles are, and stick to those regardless of what anyone else tells you and they can be your best friend it can be your mom it can be whoever but you have if you're not true to what you believe and what your boundaries are and what you think is important it doesn't matter i mean and that was always happening to ang he'd have one avatar telling him one thing one avatar telling him another thing. Katara over here squawking about something. Toph <laughs> being bitchy about something else. Sokka coming up with some crazy plan and then Momo just wants to go take a nap. Like, <laughs> and and so at the end of the day, if Aang had had to consider all of his deciders as his strategists, not just people to consider, but people to obey, then the show wouldn't have happened. And that's before we get into the thing of like, should I take advice or strategy from this person who used to be my enemy? Like, that's before we even get there. It's like, should I even be listening (laughs) to my friends? Should I be listening to the people that I reincarnated from? Like, whoa, okay. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Talk about ancestral guilt. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's got to be the idea of like checking in and doing your own centering, centering on your own voice, because we talked about people like your wife or people like my husband as that grounding presence. And we see for Aang, Katara could be an inflammatory presence. Katara could be a grounding presence. Normally she's a grounding presence unless he's having some hormones, then we'll see. Um, But you know, that idea of what's going to keep it real, what's going to bring us back to earth again, back to reality firm within our own voice, firm within our own choices, snug within the boundaries that we have set to protect ourselves. And we have that so much as business owners. If you think about it, the people who work with you, who work for you, who are your clients, they're all competing and giving you different things and saying, and you have to be able to quiet that and still maintain focus, right? Like you're 
I'm growing the business here. I'm doing sales. I hired some people and everybody wants something different. And if you can't master that, it's going to be overwhelming as a business owner completely. Even if you're a solopreneur, you're still going to have that happening. And so I think Avatar helps us think about those lessons in a much more entertaining manner. Yes. In a humorous, (laughs) adorable, often scary, thrilling, fabulous, fluffy way. (sighs) Yeah. You know, the other thing that comes up for me, and I'm wondering if we could pull a business lesson out of this, is Avatar for me is very much a show about the fallacy of first impressions, or at least the incompleteness of first impressions, right? Where like, and and y'all, this is, we've said some spoilery things, so spoiler alert on Avatar, but I'm going to pull from like <laughs> episode one here, right? So at the very beginning, what's the very first thing we learn about Sokka? Sokka can't bend. Yep. So is Sokka going to be valuable? Probably not. So we think, right? First impression Sokka, goofy, not too useful. First impression Katara, super talented, super uptight. Not going to be really fun, right? Super, you know, first impression Zuko, dick. First impression Iroh, warrior, dick. Mm -hmm. Then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He just wants his daddy's approval. He just wants to make tea. He's actually a brilliant strategist, and she's fun if you let her dance a little while she water bends, mm-hmm. right? And then, at, then by the time we even get to Toph in the freaking Earth Kingdom, it's like, oh, poor little <laughs> defenseless blind girl who can literally bend metal. So do you think that first impressions can limit us in business? Is that something we need to be concerned about? Or is people's first impression of us something we need to be concerned about? Yes and no. I think it, knowing that first impressions that people are willing to, to base decisions off of them, you should be concerned for that reason, right? But not to the extent that if that first impression means in changing or doing something that's integral to you and somehow making it smaller or not you, um, then, then no. And, and like a good example, of what I mean for that is one of the things that some people love about me, some people hate about me is that I'm willing to be brutally honest. Um, like if your content's not doing well, I will tell you that I'm not sugarcoating it for you because me doing that doesn't help you get better. Doesn't solve the um, problem. And if you cross a boundary, I'm also really willing to say, no, I'm not doing that. And I, I even when I was working for companies, I did that. And I, I even had a boss one time say, I can't believe you said that. I was like, what was I going to say? Well, most people would just say, yes, I'm not most people. Um, it, it, you have to be willing to stand up for yourself. And so first impressions do matter because, let me take a step back. If you come into a first impression and you do it with the goal of, I'm going to put on a show for you and I'm going to take something from you and you don't really want to understand who that other person is, then that's when you start to get those weird first impressions and, um, or like you don't get to, you don't see the red flags that you should be seeing from the other person. That, those start, things start to happen. So yes, they do matter because that's where you start to make mistakes that could hurt you in the, in the long run in the future. However, if you go into a first impression with the attitude of whether anything comes of this today or in 20 years or never, I want to fully understand this person who they are, what is our potential connection, if there is one, if there isn't, that's fine too. And just be in that moment, then that's great. And I don't mean like in this sort of like hippy-dippy, like, oh, I get the vibes. I mean like literally going with the sense of, I want to listen and hear and understand what this other person is talking about. Whether I speak or not doesn't make sense. And I know, and be confident in yourself to know that I bring this to the table and show that. Um, well, so like yes, when we met, matter. Yeah. our first conversation, we had so much fun because I showed up as me and you showed up as you and we didn't put a bunch of expectations on it and we weren't trying to force you onto the show or any other outcome. We were just like, you're cool, I'm cool, think that there's something here. And then we started talking about Avatar and then by the end of the day, we were sending <laughs> each other like memes and gifts and involving our spouses. Like it was hilarious. Exactly. But that was because we could trust the first impressions because we showed up unfiltered and it was that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do but yeah when whenever i find myself in that really guarded position 
what I forced myself to do instead is let me just listen, hold like 200% then. If I'm not comfortable enough to be me right now, let me listen and learn more about this other person and really get that. So let me use my ears and mouth and the proportions that they were given to me, right? Like two ears, one mouth, use them accordingly. And so let me listen and really understand, ask more questions. And then slowly you start to find where are those points where you can connect and you can actually start to reveal really who you are. And so, yes, they're important. There's the tote bag, y'all. I knew there would be a tote bag in this episode. There it is. <laughs> two ears, one mouth. Let me listen accordingly. Hot damn. Especially for those of us in performative self-employment who are the faces of our business. What a gorgeous reminder. I'm always telling people that from a sales standpoint. But, you know, you got to listen more than you talk. But even just in general. And you got to listen to yourself, too. Like what we were talking about with Aang and all those advisors. We got to let ourselves evolve. Hopefully, I will know myself better tomorrow than I do today. Even though today I consider myself the expert in me. Yep, exactly. I don't know shit. I went into Harry Potter thinking I was a Ravenclaw. I'm not. I'm Slytherin, <laughs> who I thought were evil. I went into Avatar thinking I was a waterbender. I'm not. I'm Fire Nation, which I also thought was evil. So apparently I'm just <laughs> evil, you know, whatever. I'm I'm leaning into my dark side as I age uh, and approaching menopause, as we talked about before. Wow. All over. What what nation are you? Earthbender. You're an earthbender. I can see that about you. It's that grounding presence. It's that keeping it real energy. We were talking in the pre-chat, y'all, about Muppet theory. <laughs> and we decided that, um, what did you say? You said that you're an order Muppet. I'm an order muffin who likes to create chaos so that I can fix it. And I am a chaos Muppet who creates order. <laughs> <laughs> after I mess everything up. So we're the bizarre version of each other. And of course, you are an earthbender and I am a firebender. And um, it's real hard to light metal on fire, we learn. Yeah. yeah. Real hard. But you know what? If we work together, hot metal is unpleasant. Ooh, exactly. There we go. Work together. Get like stuff the lava done. bender guy. Oh my God. <laughs> Y'all, okay, here's the other thing. I know a lot of people have not seen Avatar The Last Airbender because you missed it as a kid or you're not of the generation where you're like, you have a kid that's old enough to watch it now or whatever else. I don't care what your home arrangement is. You need to get your butt onto somewhere where Nickelodeon options are streaming and you need to watch Avatar The Last Airbender all the way through every episode. It is, and I'm going to say it, and I know you're going to agree with me. It's a life-changing show. Oh, it really? My wife hates animation. Didn't want to watch anything. And I got her to watch it. Now she, I guarantee tonight, she's going to come home and watch an episode. Yeah. Just because she loves it that much. Like, oh, I just remember this one part. Remember when Oppa was gone? Or, oh, it's, it's just that good. Oh, oh God. Right? I just said, remember when Oppa was gone and my whole body went completely cold. Like those three episodes, didn't it get you? No. Those are like the episodes of the West Wing where you don't know who got shot. They're like horrible, horrible. And when Aang starts to show some serious rage, remember, because Appa was gone. Right. And then later with everything that happens with Zuko, who is my boy, watching him transform, watching everything that happens in Bossing say, oh, the addition of all the other warriors oh, dealing with the bitch sister. Y'all, it's just it, there's so, a good. It's so good. But I do think. Before the live action comes out, everyone needs to go back and watch the original. Do you agree? Yeah, oh, it's it's flawless. I've never known a show that's been so flawlessly and meticulously thought out. I totally 100% agree. And it's a kid's show, which was, I watched it because I was interviewing for a job to work on the Avatar game. And then I, I got know. sucked in. Like, I didn't even care about it at first. And yeah. I don't even know how I started it. It's not my normal style. Yeah. I love animation and it's not my normal style. And I think... Somebody around me was giving me shit about not having seen it until finally I wore down and I was like, fucking fine. And then at the <laughs> end of episode one, like the theme song comes on and everyone is like, we're all like bopping around like, can't stop, can't stop. We're like, we're dancing to a theme song that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. That's how much we love this show. I remember like we were supposed to go see some friends for a wedding or something and I can't remember what happened when the actual finale was on. Yeah. I'm like, no, I, I'm watching. Sorry. I, mean, I, don't, I don't schedule my life around TV even. But 
I recorded it. And I was like, you guys have to know how important you are because you fucking made me miss the finale of Avatar. You're like, there is like an eclipse happening right now. Yeah. There is an eclipse that I, I have like, waited The comet is coming. <laughs> the comet is coming. We've waited three books for this. Let's go. Right? <laughs> oh my God. I love it. But speaking of the live action, which I think is going to be great. Um, shout out to Cabbage Guy for getting to keep your original role. We love you. We love your cabbages. But my question for you is, you have been offered a walk-on part in the live action. Where are you? What are you doing? Ooh, ooh. I think I would love to be on Fire Island. Finding out who you really are. Exactly. What are you doing on Fire Island? Just vacationing? Vacationing, maybe using some firebending just because why not? I'm an earthbender who can firebend. Why not? Who or cares? maybe I start sandbending. Oh! Making glass. There we go. From the makers of The Last Airbender, we now have the first sandbender. <laughs> Hook it up! Hook yep. it up, Netflix! Oh, wait, there were the desert sandbenders. I forgot. Remember the ones that took Appa? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I forgot about that. I did it again. again. I think I would want to be in Bossing Say having tea. Oh, that would be a good one. Because all I'd have to do is just sit there and enjoy. Hi, I'm Judy. That's what I would want. But for people that live in this reality and can see a show that you created, what is the best way for our listeners to reach out and get in touch with you? Hit me up on LinkedIn. You'll get to see essentially everything I do, um, consulting-wise and creatively. Um, we're doing, we're doing a lot right now in the creative space, which is a nice turn for me. So we, we do a lot of strategy consulting for media and, and audience development, but we're, I want to put my money where my mouth is instead of telling my clients what to do, do it myself too. So they know that I can actually do what I told them I could do and they can see that it works. So LinkedIn, it's Damian Taylor, really straightforward. Um, or you can look for Prometheus Digital Studio. Both of them will come to me and yeah, just, just keep Keep in touch, follow it, reach out. You'll see, I'll post about our fantasy stuff. Um, Tech Witch, which I'm really excited about. We have a kids series coming out, um, which I'm super excited about. It's animated. Um, there'll be music. It, 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 I, I've seen the first cuts of- So many things. I just wrote United. I meant animated. See, I got so excited. I forgot how to take notes. Because <laughs> that's just all the things you're doing. So many things. I love it. We'll talk about Prometheus just bringing all that flame. Flame! Fire! Fire Nation! (laughs) Oh, well, that's perfect. Damien, you know I just adore you. I'm so excited we finally got to do this. Thank you for being my guest today and for giving me the opportunity to talk about a show that I love with my whole heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad. I know it took a while, but I wanted to make sure that I was ready to to be on the show and talk some serious Avatar. Heck, Yes. All right, y'all. I'll be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for the week. Well, hey there. You know, it feels a little funny to give you a monologue about listening, so I won't. But I will remind you of the anthem of this episode, Two Ears, One Mouth. So your homework this week is short and sweet. Listen more on your sales calls. Listen more when you meet someone new. Listen more when scrolling your social media. Listen more when things go sideways. Listen more when your clients confide in you. Listen more when your family says they need you. And listen more to what you want and need. Just get on out there, y'all, and listen. thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. 
And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbacio. And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time. <laughs>